Good morning, Skyview family. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, this morning I'll be reading from Isaiah 64, but before I do that, uh, let us say together a prayer. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. So today's scripture reading comes from Isaiah 64, verses 1 to 9. So, verse 1. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood, and the water causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any gods beside you. Who works for those who wait for him? You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. But you were angry, and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our inequities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of us. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our inequities. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are all the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a great day. Nothing shook the faith of Israel like exile. There are things in, um, in life that may do that for us. Experiences, challenges, circumstances, changes, pandemics. <laughs> um, Babylon came and took the city, destroyed the temple, and took the brightest and the sharpest Judeans into captivity. Many years now has passed, in fact, decades, and most of the generation that has been taken into exile had passed on. And as people are returning with the hope uh, to the life that they had anticipated and looked for, they found, according to the previous chapter, that things were ruined. In fact, the scripture says, Zion has become a wilderness, Jerusalem a desolation. What hope they had for a return to what was ended in feelings of despair. Where will our hope come from? <laughs> Cries the prophet. Where will our hope come from in this season that we are currently living? I know we are far removed from Israel's exodus and exilic experiences, but perhaps more than ever before in this particular year, 
we can relate to being in a very difficult place where perhaps we had hoped for some things and those hopes had been dashed. I know for myself, this particular season uh, held great anticipation. As many of you know, Ruthann, the kids, and I, we had our dream trip planned. <laughs> We're going home to the promised land, to Cape Town, South Africa, that flows with milk and honey. And when I got that email rather late at night, I don't know who works that late at the airlines, but apparently they do. I felt that sense of disappointment, that sense, perhaps even I would say of despair when I considered that maybe this trip home won't happen for a while. Now I have to be honest with you, there are things that people have lost and have given up and sacrificed in this season that goes far beyond losing a trip back home. And so I do not wish to belittle or make mine any more significant than the losses we experience. But I do relate to the sense of disappointment that perhaps greets many of us as we walk into this season. As you walked into the sanctuary, you looked at the lights. Didn't Carrie and her team do a great job of reminding us of the season that we are now entering? But as we look at the lights, we also recognize that things in the world seem rather dark. And so we come alongside the people in this prophetic lament and we learn from them how to access true hope. In fact, I want to suggest to you that the Christian pathway to hope is an honest one. It begins the season with a lament. It begins in chapter 63, verse 7, where the people kind of start to recognize that they need God to show up and to do something. They need the hope of God's presence. But Christian hope is not often what we think it is. So in this particular season of life, there are many of us who are going, I can't wait for Christmas because Christmas provides that incredible distraction from the realities. We don't say that, but we get super busy. Have you ever felt at the end of the, Christ the Christmas holidays that you needed a holiday from your holiday? You see, uh, this particular season of Advent is not an opportunity for us to either bury our pain or pretend the world is not what it is, and neither is it about filling our lives so much with things that we escape the pain. It's not about distractions, but it's about coming to God with expectation. And in order to do so, I want to reflect upon the gift of lament for the church. And some of you would say to me, Stu, it's a rather kind of somber note to start Advent on. But it is, as I think you'll find, the starting place for true hope. The people of God, despairing of the disappointment that they are encountering, cry out to the Lord. But their lament begins, very interestingly, in chapter 63. It begins by remembering what God has done for them. They remember his powerful work to liberate them from slavery. They remember his faithfulness in the desert wanderings. 
They remember that God is the God who moved the fist and hold of Pharaoh from the people and liberated them so that they would leave slavery. They remember that he is the God who parted the seas and provided manna and water from rocks. And you see, I think that's a good starting point for us all in this particular season because sometimes we can remember poorly. <laughs> you know, poor memory, I've talked about this several times, he's saying, I'd like to go back to Egypt. <laughs> you know, uh, poor memory is like, I wish we could just go back to what was, but good remembering remembers the faithfulness of God. I want to challenge you very personally. In this season, as we enter this Advent season, recall the faithfulness of God in your life. Recall the faithfulness of God to this church. Someone met with me a few weeks ago and said, Stu, do you realize how incredible it is that you are in this space? I, I want to say to you, my friends, that it still amazes me that I get to pastor now a church that actually has a building. And I don't know if I, if I, if I could say it any other way, but what seems impossible to man is never impossible with God. God has been good to our church. He's been good to you. I know it's hard to reclaim good memories in a season of pandemic and loss, but I challenge you today, remember God is good and he is faithful. Remember, remember you've been in bad places before. Remember, we've been in challenging places before. This past week, as I, as I walked out of the sanctuary past that wonderful Christmas tree, that's like my favorite thing <laughs> in this season. I'm so grateful to have that Christmas tree. I stood in front of it, and, and the memory clicked, and I remembered how I took selfies with so many of you. I went through the selfies this week, and I gotta be honest, I, 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 I remembered, and it made me sad. Uh, the things that we so easily sometimes take for granted, uh, you know, the, the ability to be close, the ability to come close. If we remember those things in this season, perhaps it can also reorient us to appreciating that which we have. But remembering well is the starting place in this season. Israel's memory goes to what God has done for them, how he has liberated them. But it also goes back to remembering the steadfast love of God that was demonstrated to them throughout their history. God's faithful. Advent begins with the hope that is secure in a God that can be depended on and counted upon. Advent begins with remembering that our hope does not rest in anyone else but the character of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Jesus Christ, the God of Paul and the church, the God of Skyview, the God of Canada, the God of this world. It rests in the one who the scripture says, I don't know if I'm making this clear yet, he is the elder. Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, there is no God like him. Scripture says that he's unchanging. You and I can rely on him in changing and difficult times. Remember this God. But here's what happens when they remember. As they remember the faithfulness of God and his hand at work within the Exodus journey, they become so aware of his absence in their present circumstance. 
Remembering how God acted in the past can do that for us as well. It could perhaps make us think that he's not with us now. And so they do what I want to encourage us to consider a good prayer practice. If we begin with remembering, I want to suggest that such remembering must lead us to calling out to him. The scripture that begins so provocatively in chapter 64 says that the words that is used here is, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. (laughs) This is the cry for God to step in like he once did. This is a cry for God to do for the people the liberating work, the redeeming work, the restoring work that they have seen him do in the past. You see, good remembering does not just leave us with a good memory of God in the past, but it welcomes us to cry out for God to do something in our present. If there's anything that Advent is pointing us towards is the reality that God has broken into our world through that little baby in a manger, that he has stepped into our reality. He has become present with us in this present moment. So in some senses, he has torn up in the heavens and come down. But in another way, we long as the church of God to see the manifestation of God's presence and spirit in our world and in our lives in this season. And we cry out along with Israel, Oh, would you do whatever you need to do to reveal yourself to us in this day and age? Tear open what needs to be torn open. Break through what needs to be broken through. Whatever keeps your presence, your hand, your power, your grace from our lives, dear God, if we can't do it, you do it. If we can't access you, you access us. Lord, we need you more than we can rely upon our own abilities in this season. We need you to do the work of tearing down and revelation and bringing forth your plan and your promise and your hope. We need a God that can overcome whatever obstacles, whatever holds us from him in this season. Advent is a season of crying out for such a God to come and be with us. When I was uh, a young man, uh, (laughs) I grew up in a church that was filled with, in particular, very, very, very uh, faithful moms and widows and women. I don't know if you realize, um, I think I do, that even in scripture, God reveals that women are often the ones who, who demonstrate this great faith that we all speak about. I can't help but think of my own experience in the church of showing up with my mom to prayer meetings, you know. And we pray a little differently when I was growing up. And, and, and I found that when I try it here, some of you look at me like, it's a little weird. Back home, you know, folks don't go, we're going to give Doug a chance to pray now. Doug, would you pray? Thank you, Doug. Now we'll move to Brittany. Will you pray? Back home, there's this kind of theology that goes like this. If God is God, he can hear us all at the same time. 
Now I gotta be honest, it makes for chaos. <laughs> because inevitably there's that one mom who wants to pray louder than everybody else. But I grew up in a culture, you know, in a church experience where th this wasn't like theology taught from the pulpit, this was caught in the pews. There was a sense that God responds to the cry of his people. Are you crying out to God? You know, we can cry out for many things. We can cry out for reprieve from our circumstances, for blessing, for provision, for a job, for security, for many things. But do we realize in this Advent season what Israel needed and what we need is God to show up, his terms, his way, for his purposes? What we need, because you see, I, I can't trust myself enough to know everything that God should do. What I need to do as pastor of this church is to continue to call upon the presence of the Lord to be with his church. Therein lays our hope. Therein lays our peace. Therein lays our joy. What would it look like if in this season you prayed that prayer? God, would you come close? Close to me, close to my family. Anyway, I must go on. They cry out to God. But as they cry out to God, they become honest. The, 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 the lament takes this twist in, chapter, in, in verse 5, uh, you know, in the second part. They recognize that their sin has kept God from them. You know, most of us uh, probably recognize that when we disobey God, our tendency is to, to sometimes hide. Or we may at times when, you know, we've made wrong choices, still put on God the onus to do good things for us. Now, I'm thankful that the grace of God doesn't measure the way that we measure that he's always willing to forgive, he's always willing to restore. But here's what happens in honest lament if it's gonna lead us to hope. It, it, it makes us attentive of the things that we have done to keep ourselves from his presence. Now it's interesting, if you read the, the, the scripture, I wanna just read it for you, it starts in verse 5b. But you were angry and we sinned because you hid yourself, we transgressed. Now I just gotta to say to you, <laughs> because you hid yourself, we transgressed. You know, I, I wrestled with this, many commentaries trying to explain what is meant here, but it's almost like the, 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 the lament is, is, is arguing a particular perspective. They said, if you just didn't stop being present with us, we wouldn't have sinned. You get that? If you would have just done your part, God, then we wouldn't be here. It's amazing to me. We live in a season where I think, you know, we have started to see how easy it is for people to not take personal responsibility and project things on everybody else. One commentator says the sin of, of, Judea, of Judea is so pervasive that it even implicates their God. You see, here's, here's another part to it. The way we live reveals who God is. And when we live in disobedience, it is a poor witness of who God is. And the call in Advent is not to one of, of, of condemnation, but it is to one of honest hope that brings us to the places of recognizing, as the scripture says, we have all become like one who is unclean. 
Listen to, listen to these words. They're so hard to hear. And all our righteous deeds are like filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind take us away. There's no one who calls on your name. There's no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us. Do you long for the presence of the Lord? I mean, really, like, this is not esoteric ideas, you know, it's like, you know, feeling. You long to see the work of God, the power of God at work within our lives, within our community. Do we long to proclaim Emmanuel with great faith and in great hope? Then I would say to us, I would invite us, become honest with yourself, about what keeps us from his presence. Confession is a gift for the church. It is something that we often associate only with other theological traditions, but at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is learning, is learning to walk in truth, is learning to humble ourselves, is learning to confess our sins. This morning as I preach this word, hear where you are, as you're seated, what is it that you need to bring before him? What is it that keeps? This is the grace of God extended to us today that we may not live apart from his presence and not live entangled by sin. They cry out to God, they become honest about their sin. But then this particular portion of scripture leads us to hope. They trust in God's unfailing love. In verses eight, and I think it was Pastor Doug who made this point in our staff meeting this week. He says that yet is an important yet. <laughs> it's pretty rough going so far. Our sins are like filthy rags, yet... Oh, Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Yet, <laughs> you are our Father. You know what I hear in these words? You can't run from us because we belong to you. What I hear is a faith in the character of the one who has said that I will make you my people and I will be your God. What I hear is that the heart of a parent that despite the children's disappointing decisions still continues to care and love. And what I believe Israel is experiencing in this moment is a dislocation. It is a, a separation, perhaps, from the comfort or the confidence that they had in thinking that they controlled God and had him in their corner to a place of remembering again what it means to look at him for who he is as the one who has committed himself to them. The imagery of clay is fascinating 
clay jars. They still find things in clay jars today. I watched a wonderful, a wonderful, I think it's like a one and a half hour documentary on, on, on the recent find in Egypt. And they were digging and they found like this, this burial tomb and it was just fascinating. And, and whenever they, 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 they do these digs, as you all know, you know, I don't know if there's any archaeologist amongst us. I met an, you know where I met an archaeologist? I met an archaeologist, trained archaeologist out of London working at Old Navy. I was like, that's the rough reality of the world, you know. But archaeologists will tell you that when you, when you dig, when you dig for these artifacts, you have to be so, so careful. They're pretty brittle. And you have to take real good care. And I, I love the image of clay because clay speaks to who we really are. You know, we, we, we're not as strong as we'd like others to think, and we're not as impervious as we'd like to. And, and some of us are crackpots, let's just be honest. That's the best joke I got today. But the one who fashions for himself vessels that can reveal his very glory takes ordinary, vulnerable people and makes them into saints. I wonder this morning if we would anticipate Advent in this way, that we would enter into hope, not simply looking for a month of distraction, a month of festivities that distracts us from the reality, but that we would access the true hope as we remember the faithfulness of God and as we remember that He is committed to us. As the worship team comes, and we're going to pray together in just a moment, I wonder if you would just take this time to be silent before the Lord. There are no doubt in my mind, in my experience, in my awareness of our community, uh, there is no doubt that there's some of us for whom this, these days have been very, very hard. But the Word of God invites us to trust in Him. He is faithful. He is Lord. Amen.